I mean, when I fail, I'll be fine. And it'll just kind of be time down the drain, but that's okay, because I will have learned things from it and I would have grown as a person. It's highly possible that a noble failure is more valuable than Mm -hmm. an easy success. Hello everyone. In today's class, you'll hear a discussion between me and Ella about the second half of Ernest Hemingway's novel The Old Man and the Sea. And at the end of this recording, I'll give you an optional and just for fun writing prompt that will help you think about the tension between your character's inner growth and their outer circumstances. Begin, here's another quote about writing from Ernest Hemingway. He once wrote, There is no rule on how to write. Sometimes it comes easily and perfectly. Sometimes it's like drilling rock and then blasting it out with charges. As aspiring writers, I think we all are curious about the writing practices and habits about writers that we admire. And if you attend readings by famous writers, often in the Q&A you'll hear people ask these writers about their writing habits. Do you get up early? Do you write every day? Do you write with a pen or pencil or on a keyboard? You know, do you keep a word count? Questions like this. On one hand, I totally sympathize with this curiosity. I'm extremely curious about the writing habits of my own favorite writers. But on the other hand, I think Ernest Hemingway is absolutely right. First of all, you you have to find the way that works for you. If that's writing in the morning as opposed to writing at night, or writing with a pencil versus writing on a keyboard, or aiming to write every day or not every day, or dictating new writing into a voice recording app or not. Whatever works for you is what works. And also what works for you today won't necessarily work again tomorrow. Hemingway is totally right that sometimes it comes with very minimal effort, and sometimes it's a real chore, and there's a lot of resistance, and it just doesn't work. I think there's actually some secretly embedded writing advice inside The Old Man and the Sea. This quote came up in the first podcast about this book. It's when the old man is talking to himself and he thinks this, I keep them with precision, only I have no luck anymore, but who knows, maybe today. Every day is a new day. It is better to be lucky, but I would rather be exact. Then when luck comes, you are ready. Sure, it's great to be lucky, but it's more important to be exact, because then when luck or the muse or whatever constellations of the stars, when all that comes, then you're at your writing desk. That luck can find you working. So I think no matter what, keep writing. Absolutely keep writing. Just don't be discouraged if your writing practices change or if they don't perfectly align with the writing practices of your friends or authors that you really admire. There are no rules. You have to find your own way. And whatever way you can find that works is a good way. So to hear more about the conclusion of Hemingway's novel, let's go into that chat with me and Ella. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. How has your semester been so far? It's been good. It's been really great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm enjoying my classes. Finally getting to the point where things are picking up, so I need to make sure I stay ahead. But yeah, things are going good. 
Well, first, let me say thank you for doing this. Um, yeah, I just want to hear first, maybe the first question I'll ask is like, what's your favorite part about this book or your favorite aspect? Or if somebody said, what's the best thing about this book, what would you say? I think, I mean, I got to say, I read Old Man in the Sea a while ago, and I really did not understand it at all. It's like, what is so exciting about an old man and a fish? That's and, a good question. And it kind of seemed like, why would Ernest Hemingway write this? Like, what what was the point behind it all? Yeah. But I got to say, going through a second time, now that I'm much older as well, um, a lot more things definitely stuck out. And I think it's not so much about, you know, the pomp and the flair, but more just kind of the base principles of human nature, you know, that he really mm -hmm. points out and illustrates so well. Like, I love the part where... Um, Santiago is thinking back to his youth and like the arm wrestling match that he had yeah. um, where it's like going for days and for days and he like gets tipped over and then he slams or he, he gets it back yeah. to the yeah. middle and replacing bets and everything. Um, I just think it illustrates so well, kind of almost a mini version of like the saga of old man in the sea okay. just kind of summed up his perseverance and dedication but i i love that part and i kind of love that principle that ernest hemingway comes out it's like just the the perseverance of man where it can yeah. get you i want to pick up on this aspect of perseverance the first and also you said that like yeah nothing really exciting happens it's just it's quite a i mean i don't want to say that he he is like clubbing sharks on the head so that's that's pretty exciting i've never done that but yeah, it's it's not this long, great saga. It's not a grand adventure. You know, it's not like Lord of the Rings or anything. It's quite a simple story. And yet, as you as you illuminate, all of the drama is interior, right? It's not really a battle between a man and the world so much as it is a, between a man and his own inner demons or his own weaknesses or his own desire to give in or to give up. And I want to talk about how or if he conquers that. But um, can you say a little bit more about, so you read this a while ago when you were younger. This is an, I mean, I wasn't planning on going here, but since you brought it up, I'd love to ask a follow-up question. Do you think, I mean, this has happened to me too, as a reader, there are some books that I come to knowing that I should love them and people that I really respect love them, people whose taste I admire love them. And it seems like the kind of book I would like. And for some reason, it just doesn't click. And then I'll return to this book after a few years. And I, I, it's not like I've studied this author. It's not like I've taken some course in literary analysis. No, no, no. I just think something different has happened in, I don't know, my life or my mindset or my attitude or my approach. Do you have any, I guess my question is, what would you say to readers? I don't really know what I'm asking. Why do you think that happens to you? And what do you think the, the takeaway is? Mm. Um, let's see. I read this book. I think I was 11 when I read it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Good, <laughs> it's, good it's for you. Kind of young to read the book. No, that's um, great. Good for so you. It's understandable that it just went right over the head. <laughs> Now, I think the thing that has changed for me a lot, kind of as I've gotten older, is just being able to see some deeper meanings in books. And just because I have experiences that I can draw on and like say, oh, 
this reminds me of this. Oh, I wish I had known this then or things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. For another good example, like wrinkle in time. I know a lot of people love that book. I read it when I was younger and I hated it. I hated it so much because <laughs> like what in the world three old ladies, but it's like, Oh, they mean this. They represent this. Yeah. And that's why it's such a beautiful story, which I feel like old man in the sea relates to as well. Cause Again, it's not just an old man and the sea. It's kind of a bigger allegory, in a sense. I think you're right. And that's kind of where I want to go in our conversation. I mean, we talked in that class uh, yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, yesterday, about the hero's journey, right? Mm. And I hold this book up as a great example of a narrative that fits right on top of the hero journey structure. Now, the thing about the hero's journey is that most narratives do fit onto that structure, but this one, it really couldn't be clearer. I mean, he lives in, quote unquote, the ordinary world, the fishing village. He has this call to adventure. I have to go catch this fish. He has a mentor in, in Manolin, the, the figure of the small boy. He crosses the threshold. He goes out to the sea. He has tests and trials and enemies, and he meets the sharks. But just call to mind this graphic. Remember, you've probably seen it before. It's yeah. the circle, and the hero starts at the top, and the bottom of the circle, so six o'clock of the circle, is the low point. This is the point of the story where the hero almost dies, or in some stories actually does die. It's the hero's lowest moment. So in this story, where is that? Where, where would you say? Mm. Again, I'm not. it's not like I have the answer right, ready to go. I might have to think about it for a while. Yeah. What would you say? I almost feel like... This one goes through like, and all stories really do, but go through many heroes' journeys as they go yeah. throughout the book. Like with this one, he catches a fish and you think like, oh, he's done. So, I mean, that's almost in itself, I feel like a little bit of a mini hero's journey to where he catches the fish. Um, I would say the low part is definitely when he's clubbing the sharks and they're eating all his hard work and everything that he's just struggled and fought for, for what, four days? It's so sad. Yeah, the, definitely, definitely the low point. I love what you say about cycles, and this is true. People listening can think of their own favorite books or movies, but yeah, this structure is definitely adaptable in that way. I mean, you could say that he kind of starts, that the old man kind of starts at a low point. It's been 84 days without a fish, so this is kind of a low, maybe he starts the book at 6 o'clock and has to come. But yeah, I think you're. I, this is the moment I would pick too. He, he has a knife, so he, he begins by stabbing the sharks. So basically, I mean, people who are listening to this have read this, but he catches this giant fish. It's an enormous fish. He says something like, there's only been, there's two fish that he's caught in his whole life that weighed more than 1,000 pounds. And he thinks that this one weighs 1,500 pounds. So it's just this absolutely enormously large prize of a fish. And immediately the, the sharks appear and he begins by stabbing the sharks. He has this knife, but then he stabs one of the sharks and as the shark rolls away, the knife snaps. So he starts beating it with the oars or with a club. And eventually I'm not going to be able to find the page. I think he, I found like the very end where he's clubbing the sharks and then they get away. Yeah. Where's um, that? What page? Yeah. That's page 18, 118 and 119. Let's see, do you want me to read just like a small Please. paragraph? Yes, please. Here, okay. So it says, but by midnight, 
He fought, and this time he knew the fight was useless. They came in a pack, and he could only see the lines in the water that their fins made and their phosphorescence as they threw themselves on the fish. He clubbed at heads and heard the jaws chop and the shaking of the skiff as they took hold below. He clubbed desperately at what he could only feel and hear, and he felt something seize the club, and it was gone. And then it like, goes through this whole big thing until the top of page 19, and then it says there was nothing more for them to eat. Yeah. And a little bit later... Um he knew he was beaten now, finally, and without remedy. So he stabs the sharks, he beats them with the club. I think at one point, is it, maybe I'm misremembering, he's even like banging them with his fist. He's like punching sharks, or maybe... Does he do that? I think he might. I can't remember. You're probably right. Anyway, it's this whole de-escalating... He never gives up, you know, until it's absolutely... Until there's nothing left to fight for, like mm-hmm. you say, until there's just bones left. That's definitely the bottom of his journey, the lo- his lowest point. Now, if you come back up, so now we're like uh, tracing the circle of the hero's journey up to seven and eight and nine o'clock. Something maybe we didn't talk about yesterday is that after the lowest point, the in many stories, after the hero's lowest point, they get some kind of magic potion or elixir or weapon mm. or sword. And they bring it back to the known world, to the community, right? And this thing kind of heals the community. So I'm trying to think of examples of this from movies or TV. I mean... Um, this is the transformation? Yeah, the hero is transformed yeah. and or slash resurrected. And they return to the known world with some kind of token or elixir. Or I mean, Harry Potter doesn't actually have an object that he returns with. Frodo doesn't he comes back kind of just more mature he doesn't have a physical object right can you and maybe we won't be able to and we'll just both have stumped each other but can you think of any book or story or movie where after the hero's lowest point he or she comes back with some kind of visible trophy i mean this is so so sad that the only thing i can think of is kung fu panda 3 (laughs) well say it no this is good what is it because this will be this is actually a good example because it will be proof that this pattern exists everywhere yeah (laughs) yeah I mean, it's like Poe's struggle for Chi in the end. And so he goes through this whole big fight and like is, I think, frozen at one point and like can't move. Uh-huh. And then he's able to master the Chi and it gets him out of that situation. And he comes back as like this mighty warrior and saves all the pandas. Yeah. And what is the Chi exactly? It's this magical... Oh, it's just like his like power to control, yeah. you know, the things around him. Good. Kung Fu stuff. <laughs> So if you think about, I'm trying to think of other examples, I mean, the sword in the stone is kind of like this, where the, the kid actually brings back a sword. Or, yeah, I mean, this, we've made the point, I think. I don't think we need to belabor those points anymore. I guess I'm just disappointed in myself for not being able to think of a good a good example. No, of I'm sad that I can't think of anything better than Gunga Brenda. I'm sure as soon as this conversation is over, we'll both think of like 10 that's true. Ten amazing, great examples. But people listening have art. They're like screaming into their earbuds. Like, what about this? <laughs> yeah. So the speak the the hero has like a totally low point. Then they find, then they kind of get transformed or resurrected or they overcome and they find the chi or they take the sword, they they take the potion back to their village. Now the old man. Every time I read this, my heart breaks all over again. He comes back to his village with this enormous skeleton, nothing but bones. He has nothing. He has nothing. So it's kind of this anti-chi, right? I mean, in a way, on the surface, it looks like everything that he could have brought back, he can't bring back. He lost. 
So he says to himself in the boat when he knows that he's doomed to lose this fish, he says to himself, you violated your luck when you went too far outside. And he says this to himself several times. You shouldn't have gone out too far. I went out too far. He says to the fish, fish that you were, I am sorry that I went out too far. I ruined us both. So Santiago seems to believe that he was too ambitious or this was his, I don't want to talk about like the concept of fatal flaw because that can be too reductive maybe, but maybe he's right, but maybe he's wrong. What do you think? Should he have gone out too far? Well, I think it's interesting because I feel like he kind of knew this from the beginning that he was going too far. Like on page 28, it says the old man knew he was going too far out. Oh, very good. Going, going far out. Yeah. And so like from the very, very beginning, he's he kind of knew that he was breaching that boundary kind of that he'd set for himself. Um, and obviously, I mean, this story wouldn't have happened if he hadn't gone out that far and hooked that fish in the deep. He did, he did kind of accomplish something in the fact that he caught a humongous fish. I mean, yeah. it was all destroyed at the end. Um, I mean, personally, I do feel like he kind of went out too far because he knew that he wouldn't be able to handle yeah. um, the things that he would ca- catch out there. And yeah. I think by taking that step, I think he's exactly right that he was kind of tempting fate, tempting luck by going so far. But then again, that's not to say that like his perseverance and like holding on for so long, that's, I mean, incredibly admirable. Um, And the fact that once he did kind of make that decision that he was going to go far out, he stuck with it. I think that's interesting to see. But I also just think it's interesting to see that he knew at the very beginning that this could lead to something yeah, I don't know, was, it, it's he, something, I can't, I can't well, think Well, he of knew, it. you're right, he knew that he was probably going to fail. Yeah, yeah. I love that answer. I think you said a few very great things there. Like, so I think about this in my own life, and I know this isn't like a how to live class, but this is a class about how to write books. And one of the reasons we love books is because great books teach us how to live. So there's nothing wrong with reacting to a book in this class in this way, I think. I think about this in my own life. I think, I mean, you, you, and you mentioned that this book, when you were 11, you didn't, you weren't fully aware of the ways in which this book could speak to a human life in a kind of allegorical sense. But now that you are older and you've had more life experience, you can see that, yeah, there, there is something allegorical in this story. I don't, I'll talk in a minute about, I don't want to reduce it fully to an allegory because I think Santiago does become a fully alive kind of person. But I think about my own life in this way. And I think about the things that I want. Santiago wanted a fish and he wanted to prove to himself that he still had some kind of inner strength. What do I want? I want to write a great book, you know? What's the equivalent goal in my life, the goal that I will certainly fail at? It's to write a great, lasting, permanent book. You know, that's what I want to do with my life. So if if I say to myself, let's go try and do that, I'm pushing off from shore in my little boat, you know, and I'm saying to myself, you're going out too far. You probably won't be able to write this kind of book. You know, this kind of, you'll probably fail. So that my question for myself, and by extension for you, becomes, do you have goals like this in your life where you, you kind of know that they're too ambitious? 
So one half of your brain thinks, yeah, you're probably going to fail. But the other half of your brain thinks, well, do I want to be less ambitious? Isn't, isn't being less ambitious also bad? It, would it have been better for the old man and for the boy and for the village if the old man had not dared to go out and try something this hard? Yeah, that's an interesting paradox there. I feel like, frankly, even though the old man did go out too far, I feel like some things were accomplished. Like in yeah. a sense, I know that in the last um, podcast, you guys talked a lot about pride and like the old man's pride. Yeah. And I think that was definitely served in the fact that he was able to come back with this humongous skeleton and everyone was kind of able to see, oh, hey, maybe he can fish after all, even though it's been like 85 days to least had a fish. And I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that, I mean, you shouldn't just give up because it seems too hard. Like we wouldn't do anything if we said, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. Um, That's right. I mean, I think there's a point where we should be practical. Um, but I also well, think... tell me that, what that point is. Sorry to interrupt That's you. true. It's true. It's true. What is that? Um, like, like, I want to know. I don't know. What is that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, my, like, craziest fan- fantasy would, like, to be on Broadway and sing and dance and stuff like that. But I just know that I would not enjoy that life at all. Like, even though okay. it sounds amazing... I guess the work and the effort that would all go into it may not lead me exactly where I want to go in life, just overall. Um, I feel like writing a novel is kind of a different, kind of a different tract, I guess, because I feel like you can do that kind of throughout, throughout life. That's, that's a good thing to keep coming back to over and over again. And I mean, again, like definitely we shouldn't limit ourselves by those boundaries that we set of like, Oh, this is too far. You, it's, it's important to be ambitious, but also practical. I feel like the biggest thing, I mean, this is more just life in general, not so much old man in the sea, but just to kind of figure out what your end goal is. Like, yeah. what do I really want out of my life and my time yeah. and the things that I want to achieve? And then let's figure out a way to do that. Um, so, I mean, the old man in the sea, his goal was kind of... I mean, stay alive, catch a fish. And he was going for that. I don't know if he was trying to achieve that in the best possible way, though. Like, I wonder if he had stayed a little further in, he may have he may have caught a fish. But then again, that hadn't worked for 84 days, so who's to say? I love that. Uh, this is a great response. I mean, okay, so, and it relates to life, and it relates to the book, and it relates to writing. So I want to kind of hit all of these aspects. So you have this dream of being on Broadway, but then you also say, but then, but it sounds like the other half of your brain knows that you wouldn't really enjoy that. So maybe that's not actually your dream dream. I mean, I, I don't true. know you that's true. inferring, you know what I mean? So there could be other dream dreams that you have that are still as ambitious, but without all of those downsides of that lifestyle, mm-hmm. the, the, the downsides that you know you wouldn't enjoy. And it doesn't have to be career related. It can be like character goals. It can be family goals. It can be, I mean, there are a whole variety of ways that we can be ambitious as humans, you know? And yes, we do have to be practical. You're absolutely right. But then you're also right to say, on the other hand, it hadn't worked, being practical hadn't worked for Santiago for 84 days. So 
I just wonder to myself, like, is it important to attempt something that you'll likely fail at because the benefits of the attempt outweigh the failure? You yourself say that he gains something. Yeah, he loses this fish, but he comes back to the village with something. And you refer to his pride. He, he has proven to himself that he can persevere. I guess, yeah. Can we elaborate a little bit on that? When he comes back to the village, what is the chi, to use your <laughs> example, that he exudes? I, and, and maybe like a follow-up question or a, a way to refine this question would be, I love this boy that he's befriended. The old man comes back and the boy sees him. And I tried to look for this in the text the other day, and it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment that gives me this impression. So maybe I'm doing a bad job of being a reader here and I'm importing things into the text that don't belong. But Ella, don't you have the suspicion that the boy's life will be altered forever for the good? I think that the boy has been shown something very valuable. Yeah, I think... I mean, are you talking about on page 124, it's like the boy is taking care of the man. And then... And the boy just cries. Yeah, yeah, the boy cries. Um, but when the man says, they beat me, Madeline, they truly beat me, um, the boy says, he didn't beat you, not the fish. Wait, and just where, kind of... Wait, where is that? What, what page is that on? I'm on page 124. 124. Yes, you're a better reader than me. They beat me, Madeline. He said, they truly beat me. He didn't beat you, not the fish. Elaborate. What, what does this, why does this stand out to you? What, right. what does this signal that the boy has learned? Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, kind of going back to perseverance and the fact that the boy has learned that these amazing things can be at least attempted, if not achieved. Um, mm. And the fact that Santiago was, I mean, he was able to do this with all the things going against him, just being so frail and old and weak. And yet he was able to bring in this humongous, I guess, proof that he did catch a huge fish. And that maybe, I think to the boy, he has a lot more things going for him. I mean, in the future, he'll be, you know, strong and able to own his own ship or boat. And I mean, who knows what he could achieve with that. And he'll never forget this old man. I mean, the, the boy has been shown something miraculous, something really, really significant. The old man does bring something back. The skeleton of the fish is visible proof that the old man is strong and unbeatable and that thereby, and therefore, so is the boy. The boy is learning that he can grow up to be this strong, you know? And when we read this book, I think we're, we're learning that like, oh, I'm, I'm not as bad off as the old man. I'm stronger than him. I'm younger than him. I have more going for me than him. And if he can do that, what can I do? You know what I mean? So it's this, it is this allegory of human endurance and human strength. I think it's really beautiful. Also, I want to talk a little bit about Christ. I hate interpreting books. And I don't like symbolism in particular. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about symbolism in this class because symbolism, to say that an object, like for example, the whiteness of the whale in Moby Dick is a symbol of X or Y, or the scarlet letter in the scarlet letter is a symbol of X or Y, has always felt extremely reductive to me. And it's not ever this easy mathematical equation that A always equals B. You know, the whiteness of the whale always equals this one very reductive 
thing. So I never like saying, oh, this is a symbol for that. Because I think when great books become great, they become much more, I'm now stumbling for words, they become much more dynamic and much less easy to pin down. And you'll see things in it at one point in your life that you won't in another point in your life. But Hemingway goes out of his way to compare the old man to Christ. You've probably, based on how good a reader you are, you've probably noticed these. There's one moment on page 107 where he's trying to haul this fish in and he's trying to eat this other fish just to keep his strength up. This is on my page 107. I, he said out loud, so we're talking about the old man. I, the old man, said out loud, there is no translation for this word, and perhaps it is just a noise such as a man might make involuntarily, feeling the nail go through his hands and into the wood. So, I mean, that's a pretty bright light shining mm -hmm. in our faces, like we're meant to compare this old man with Christ. And there's another moment when the old man comes back to the fishing village and he has to haul the mast of his boat up onto the shore. And it's a very oh. clear cross image. He's like hauling his cross back up. Yeah, I guess you also have the part at the beginning where his hat is cutting into his forehead. Oh, wonderful. Like oh, I hadn't noticed that. Crown oh. of thorns. What, pa what page is that on? You've, I you've forget. Noticed, it's at the beginning. Everything. It's at the beginning where he's like holding the line and it's kind of attached to his hat and it's like cutting into his forehead. Excellent. And he has these scars in his hands from uh -huh. the rope. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's like, I feel okay talking about symbolism in, in this book because it's, I mean, it, we would just, it's so patently obvious. Like we would just be going out of our way to ignore it, you know? So, and if I, or if I were to ask, how is the old man like Christ? I mean, that's kind of obvious question too. He suffers, he endures, he perseveres. But Christ gives mankind the elixir, quote-unquote, of resurrection, right? And new life. This possibly for new life. So what would you say if I asked you... So that's what Christ's suffering gives the world. Christ's suffering gives the world new life. Are there different answers for the question, what does Santiago's suffering give to the boy or the world or the village? What is the purpose of Santiago's suffering? I mean, and if the answer, if you think the answer is, well, that's the same, the purpose is the same, then maybe that's the answer. But what would you think? I don't know. Since it seems like catching the fish is somewhat a selfish endeavor. I mean, he needs food. He needs sustenance. He needs money. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, in his mind, when he was holding on to that rope, he often thought, I wish I had the boy. Like that, that happens a million times. He says, That's I right. wish I had the boy. That's actually a good point. I do wonder if in a sense he was trying to prove not just for pride's sake, but also maybe to the boy's parents to prove that I can really do this. You should uh -huh. send it back to me. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of a basic. It must have been in there though. I'm sure. But I mean, that could be part of his motivation for that. I'm not exactly sure how the catching of the fish would benefit the whole society in general. It, it would, I mean, the catching of the fish, I guess we could, yeah, let's think about a different novel in which he totally succeeds this is a good thought exercise, a good hypothetical. Let's think about a different novel in which the old man goes out there, catches this fish. It's challenging, but it's not very hard. He just has a super lucky day, catches this giant fish, gets it back to the village intact, and it makes him quite wealthy. 
and it makes the village, you know, more pro people have food, you know, so it that does have some external benefit on the village. Don't you think I'm now leading the witness? Like, don't you think, <laughs> but I have the suspicion. I want you to confirm or deny whether or not you have the same suspicion. I have the suspicion that that book is worse for several reasons. And one of those reasons is because the prize of the fish isn't as valuable as the prize that the old man brings back in the version of the book that we have. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's something about the defeat that causes the old man to bring back a quote unquote prize that is far more valuable than any fish. So yes, he did go out with this quote unquote selfish desire. I want to catch this fish but because he loses that fish. Again, you know, we can talk about the new Testament it's a thing that moth and rust doth corrupt. You know, it's this earthly good, this fish. You know, moth and rust doesn't actually corrupt mm -hmm. it, but you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's just a worldly good. And once that worldly good is lost, that enables the old man to actually bring something back to the village that has truly transcendent value. So confirm or deny, do you think that that yeah. version of the book that I described would be quite worse and that that prize wouldn't be as valuable? I agree that that's true. That's a really good point. Um, that if he just succeeded right off the bat, I mean, number one, that would just not be an interesting story. Um, yeah, but you're right sure. that the success would just be so much less valuable or, um, I guess worth it in a sense. Yeah. And I feel like that does make him pretty comparable to Christ in the sense that it's not physical things that he's leaving behind, but more the example that he sets for his community and just the story, I guess, of, I mean, because everyone could see, they could probably see, you know, the line on his forehead and the cuts on his hands and yeah, yeah carrying this fish across, across the island. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think more, would he be an inspiration then? Is that what it would be to the so. people of his village? I think this is a great, I love your answer. I mean, it, it's not that Christ has an object in his hands that he gives us that's like a, a trophy or a prize or a piece of gold or something. It is the example. We read the New Testament and think, and and the injunction is to be like Christ, you know. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to live a life that it has suffering as a component of that life, but that that suffering can be endured with dignity and nobility and we can eventually overcome that suffering i mean that's what i think and also that yeah that's what i think that's what i think the boy learns so i'll try to say this succinctly i think that the boy learns from the old man what we learn from reading the new testament the boy looks at the old man and we look at christ and we think we can do hard things if he can do that i can do this Mm -hmm. You know, I can endure my my struggles if he could endure those. That kind of lesson is much more valuable than any fish. And also there's another one, and maybe the Christ parallel slightly fades away here too, but this goes back to me wanting to write a great book. Should I swim out that far? Should I should I set my little boat? Should I should I say my goal in life is to write a great capital G book? Or should I say no, I'll probably fail, so maybe I should be more practical. Uh, I feel a little bit like, I mean, I, I do totally agree with both sides, but I also feel like if you ever just, if you do decide 
to go out further and to go too far, I think that's when this lesson kicks in of like that perseverance and that um, like prevailing over any trial in the fact that once we do decide to take that leap, I mean, I, I guess who's to say whether you should or not. Um, <laughs> but I mean, once you do, then Santiago does give a very good parallel of just fighting to the absolute bitter end yeah. when he's lost all of his weapons he barely has a way to steer himself back home and just, just absolutely never giving up. Think about, I have kids. So I think about my kids and I think, what would I tell them? Cause I'm ambivalent about the answer from me. And you just said a good thing. Like you can't really say whether or not other people should swim out too far or not. It's up to them to decide, you know, whether or not they should live their life with these kinds of crazy ambitions. And I wouldn't want to sound prescriptive in this way, except when it comes to my kids I run a little dictatorship at home and I can like tell them to do whatever I want. And I think to them, I think about them and I think if they asked me, dad, should I attempt to do this crazy ambitious thing that I'll probably fail at or should I not? What should I say? I mean, I really yes, do. reach for the stars or no play I think it, it does really depend on exactly what it is since like Santiago could have died going out that far and he Definitely. knew that he could have. But I mean, it seems like for everyday things that you know, I mean, when I fail, I'll be fine. And it'll just kind of be time down the drain. But that's okay, because I will have learned things from it. And I would have yeah. grown as a person. So I do feel like that that is a little bit more, that's easier to say in our modern world, where it's not like, we'll drown and we'll die and be lost at sea forever. But it's rarely, it's rarely life and death. Although, it may, I mean, maybe not, you know, like, there might be good. lots of situations in which your life could be at stake. But anyway, I do you think there's something, one thing this book teaches me about how to live is that it's highly possible that a noble failure is more valuable than mm -hmm. an easy success. And you as writer, you as a writer and people listening to this as a writer, it's possible that you'll learn more about how to write by trying to write something that might be really difficult than only sticking to writing things that you know you can do well. Do you know right. what I mean? When I was, we should probably wrap up, but uh, when I was, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer. And when I was a teenager, I wanted to write novels, but I never attempted one because I thought I'll start writing novels when I know how to write novels, <laughs> which now sounds like the stupidest thought in the world. But in my teenage brain, it made sense to me. I didn't know back then that the way you learn how to write novels is you start writing failed novels. You have to start and fail and then start again and fail again. And eventually the failures become less and the successes become more. So, and I think that that, that principle holds true for one's entire life. Like you never finish living that way. You'll, there will always be something you want to do better at, whether it's writing or parenting or, you know, whatever skills are required to be on Broadway and pushing yourself like, well, maybe I'll try to learn that aspect of it. Yeah. You'll fail the first 10 or a hundred times, but it's the only way that you'll ever learn to not fail at it. I don't know. Does this ring true to you? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. I mean, it's what did Thomas Edison say? 99. Yeah. Failures, one success. Yeah. That's right. um, Right. Yeah, or just that you miss you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. That too. Um, I definitely that... think that rings true, and especially like for things that you know, like this is your passion and this is what I want to do. 
I definitely would say that, I mean, there's no reason to smother that or say, yeah. no, I'm never going to be able to achieve that. But I think so. So aim high. So Ella, are, is there any last things you want to say about this book? Other things that you super loved, we didn't get to. Other things that it's taught you about writing. Don't feel pressured into having an answer. You know, it's just a chance for you to, uh, yeah, say any last words. I love the personification that he gives to his hands, where he's like talking about his hand cramping and like talking to his hand and then eating, even though he doesn't want to eat for his hand. I guess in a, in a sense, that could even kind of go back to Christ. I don't know, doing things he doesn't want to do so then other things can flourish. I also really, really love his respect for the fish. I mean, you guys talked about this as well, but just the love of nature and the sadness to see it die and to see that, I mean, he had to kill it. Well, why did you love that? I mean, and, and why did you love, just elaborate on both of those points. Why did you love his respect, this character's respect for the fish and nature in general? And why yeah, did you love there's... the way that he talks to his hands? Like, <clears throat> what did that do to your reading experience? Why did those things make this book better for you? Yeah, so with the killing, killing nature... Um, or just the really re the respect of nature. I think it's really interesting. At the end, on page 105, he says, um, I have no understanding of it, and I'm not sure that I believe in it. Perhaps it was a sin to kill the fish. I suppose it was, even though I did it to keep me alive and feed many people, but then everything is a sin, do not think about sin. Um, I just think it's interesting that he wonders, like, was that the wrong thing to do? Since, I mean, it got me nothing in the end. Well, kind of, I mean. Yeah, yeah. It got him nothing in the end. And he says like all through it that he loves and he respects the fish, but he still needs to kill it. So I don't know. I think it's just so interesting that I guess that's just the constant human struggle is, I mean, you have to put your priorities like, I don't know, you stay alive over, over a fish staying alive, your society being prosperous over nature yeah. even though it's beautiful and majestic but i just think and, it's interesting and i also think there's a writing lesson here that we can learn this is what people mean when they say that a character is three-dimensional mm. santiago is torn he loves the fish and doesn't want to have to kill him but is totally willing to kill him and is killing him and mm -hmm. and even to read a little bit farther from what you just read um he keeps talking to the fish and he said you you did not kill oh maybe he's he's talking to himself sorry you did not kill the fish only to keep alive and to sell for food he thought you killed him for pride mm. because you are a fisherman you loved him when he was alive and you loved him after if you love him it is not a sin to kill him or is it more end of paragraph santiago has no answer to that question he's wondering to himself if I respect it and kill it, is that worse or better than not respecting it and killing it? And I think one, one way that you can have a three-dimensional character is to have that character be ambivalent or contradictory. Have your character contradict him or herself, or have your character ask difficult questions about his or her behavior that they don't have the answers to. Yeah, I found the quote that I was looking for. Oh, great. It's on page 75, um, and it says, Santiago says, the fish is my friend too, he said aloud. I have never seen or heard of such a fish, but I must kill him. I'm glad we do not have to try to kill the stars. Imagine if each day a man must try to kill the moon, he thought. The moon runs away, but imagine if a man each day should have to try to kill the sun. We were born lucky, he thought. Wow. Why do you like that? That's so good. 
I just think, I mean, it really does compare how far can man really go in his vendetta, I guess, against nature. Yeah. Um, and just that, I mean, yes, we have to stay alive. We have to um, take care of ourselves. So, I mean, that does involve, you know, hunting, catching, ch- catching fish. Yeah. Food. But comparing it to the moon and the stars and the sun, I mean, obviously it's impossible for any of us to kill the moon or stars. But just thinking, I think you could compare it beauty-wise of just how beautiful nature is and why would we try to kill something so beautiful? Like, why would anyone have any desire to kill the moon? Um, But just saying that, I mean, this fish is so beautiful, but he still has to kill it and wondering if that's even the right thing to do. Yeah, so he's totally torn. And that's a great example. I love that. So what about the hands? In one or two minutes, why did you love that so much? Yeah, so I love I love the hands and kind of that, in a way, symbolism, how he treats them as their own being and like they need to do their part. They need to pull their weight. And then also, I mean, taking care of them as well. Like he eats the fish, he stays strong. I think the big thing for me there, though, is the mind over matter. Like uh-huh. usually we would see, you know, our body is like just part of us, right? But he seems to be exempt from his body in a way like his spirit is not where his body is that's really interesting. Um, yeah like he's thinking he's thinking about oh my hands need to do this oh my feet need to do that but just spiritually he's far away from the pain and the suffering and he's just so in control that he can you know even personify his hands and say darn you for getting a cramp and yeah. all that type of thing I love that answer. It, it again harkens back to the layers on the way in which his story layers on top of the Christ story. You know, his, his spirit is not quite of this world, or he, he, he's transcended the body in, in a meaningful way. But also, it gives, just in terms of narrative, it gives the narrative, it gives him something to talk to in the boat. So it kind of that's, creates a kind of Wilson type character. character in the boat. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, so the book is less boring than it would be otherwise. Before we sign off, I just want to allude to this very beautiful final passage. There's these very misguided tourists who misinterpret the waiter. The waiter is trying to explain that sharks ate this fish. And the people in the restaurant think that he means it's a shark skeleton. And this man and this woman are saying, oh, I didn't know sharks could get that big. I didn't know they had such handsome, beautifully formed tails. And then this is the last paragraph. And I don't know if I have a question I probably probably don't. I just want to read it because I think it's so beautiful. Up the road in his shack, the old man was sleeping again. He was still sleeping on his face and the boy was sitting by him, watching him. The old man was dreaming about the lions. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful book. Okay, well, thank you so much, Ella. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Now it's time for the writing prompt portion of the recording. And today's writing prompt is designed to help you think about the tension between your character's inner desire and his or her external circumstances. So as you know by now, the old man fails to bring back the fish. The fish is completely eaten by sharks, and all that remains is a skeleton. No matter how many times I read this book, that always breaks my heart every single time. So he fails to bring the fish back to the village, but does he fail? In, in any ultimate sense. 
Is this a story about a failure? I think not. Think about the hero's journey. Santiago leaves the known world of the fishing village. He faces challenges and threats and temptations and weakness. He falls into a kind of abyss. He has low moments and then even lower moments. But he is transformed for the better. And he comes back to the known world, back to the fishing village, with something extra, something more, some improvement, more wisdom, more insight. Maybe most of all, he comes back with proof that he cannot be defeated, proof that human dignity is indestructible, proof that he has an inner strength that cannot be broken. And this knowledge is far more valuable to him than any fish. In the first podcast, we talked about his desires. Yeah, he wants to catch a fish, but that's a kind of external and superficial and frankly unimportant desire. What he actually wants is something much more profound and important and something totally interior. He wants to discover something about himself. So think about your own protagonist. And for this writing prompt, just jot down some notes. This might not be actual writing that gets into your story or novel. This could be just part of the planning phase or character development phase. But just jot down some notes. Think about your character in a situation that on the outside looks like they've failed. So they've failed a test, they've failed to make the soccer team, they've been fired, they've failed to slay a monster. You know, it depends on who your character is and what kind of story you're writing. But think about some kind of external failure that they've endured. And then think of a way to make this failure necessary in order for them to achieve what they really truly want. The old man didn't need to bring the fish back to prove he had courage and strength. He proved that despite having failed to bring back the fish. So maybe your character can fail at some external task, but still achieve something interior that is far more important. Think about various scenarios. Again, it will depend on who your character is and what he or she wants. Now for the poem of the day. If you think about strength in old age and being willing to face exterior failures for the benefit of proving some kind of interior strength, really only one poem comes to mind, and it is called Ulysses by Alfred Lord Tennyson. It little profits that an idle king by this still hearth among these barren crags Matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me. I cannot rest from travel. I will drink life to the lees. All times I have enjoyed greatly, have suffered greatly, both with those that loved me and alone. On shore and when through scudding drifts the rainy Hyades vexed the dim sea. I am become a name, for always roaming with a hungry heart, much have I seen and known, cities of men and manners, climates, councils, governments, myself not least, but honored of them all, and drunk delight of battle with my peers, far on the ringing plains of windy Troy. I am a part of all that I have met, yet all experience is an arch wherethrough gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life. Life piled on life were all too little, and of one to me little remains. 
but every hour is saved from that eternal silence something more, a bringer of new things, and vile it were for some three sons to store and hoard myself, and this gray spirit yearning in desire to follow knowledge like a sinking star beyond the utmost bound of human thought. This is my son, mine own Telemachus, to whom I leave the scepter and the isle. Well loved of me, discerning to fulfill this labor, by slow prudence to make mild a rugged people, and through soft degrees subdue them to the useful and the good. Most blameless is he, centered in the sphere of common duties, decent not to fail in offices of tenderness, and pay meet adoration to my household gods when I am gone. He works his work, I mine. There lies the port, the vessel puffs her sail, there gloom the dark broad seas. My mariners, souls that have toiled and wrought and thought with me, that ever with a frolic welcome took the thunder and the sunshine and opposed free hearts, free foreheads, you and I are old. Old age hath yet his honor and his toil. Death closes all, but something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done, not unbecoming men that strove with gods. The lights begin to twinkle from the rocks, the long day wanes, the slow moon climbs, the deep moans round with many voices. Come, my friends, tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off, and sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows, for my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. It may be that the gulfs will wash us down. It may be we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides, and though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. So that's it for today. Next time will be a conversation between me and Ali and Colin about the first half of Hermann Hesse's short novel Siddhartha. In the meantime, keep writing, keep reading, and don't forget that you too have what it takes to become a great writer. Bye.